welcome in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. We're recording today on Wednesday, February 8th. The Magic coming off a tough loss last night at Amway Center to the New York Knicks. A great basketball game, 102-98. The final score, playoff-type atmosphere. It was HBCU night uh, at Amway Center. So a lot of fun last night. Unfortunately, come up a little bit short. It'll be the Denver Nuggets tomorrow and then the Miami Heat in town on Saturday. Uh, my guest for the program today is Isu Ma'at, the Orlando Magic's Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. I'm very excited to catch up with Isu. He's been with the team since 2020. I'm sure it's gone by like that because it seems like just yesterday uh, Isu was coming aboard. But uh, Isu, thank you so much for taking some time to join me. I know it's a very busy time of year for you, but um anxious to catch up with you. How you doing? Likewise. Very good. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, for sure. I, I had a couple of objectives uh, with this podcast. I want to learn a little bit about you, a little bit more um, about you and your role with the team and kind of um, expose maybe a little bit different audience. Usually my audience is more just sort of basketball driven. So I think we can open up things a little bit. I, I've been hearing a lot lately about DEI and being painted in a negative light if you listen to certain media outlets. And I want to try to clarify that for people. Um, and then just talk about the the celebration of Black History Month and then everything um, the Magic organization is doing. And it really is something, um, th- those efforts last year long, and, and they're kind of brought to the forefront here in February. But let's just start with you uh, briefly. We don't need to go through your entire resume, but um, will you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up here? Yeah, absolutely. So I spent 10 years leading diversity efforts in various capacities, first uh, starting the diversity and inclusion program in the New York office for the USTA uh, before joining the uh, national diversity team, which brought me here to Orlando uh, in 2018. But long time uh, at the USTA, um, uh, as I said, involved in diversity efforts before coming over Uh, to the Orlando Magic. And I got to tell you, we've been having a great time building off of a lot of things that were in place before me, uh, formalizing some things like supplier diversity, et cetera. Um, But but really at the end of the day, just trying to make sure that number one, we make our workplace mirror the demographics of our marketplace, that we ensure that no matter who you are, internal or external customer, you're having a legendary belonging experience and to the extent that we can do so, uh, grow our business by successfully attracting and engaging diverse consumers. So that's really what the program is about. And and, and as you said, we're two years into this. It feels like a lot longer. <laughs> I said it feels like that's just yesterday. Name, but it feels like a lot longer. I said it feels like just yesterday. You're the one who's got the boots on the ground. So I so, so I assume the, the amount of work that goes into it, it, yeah. it probably does feel like uh, it's been a long time. I just got to ask you real quick about your work with uh, with, with the USTA. Um, that seems to me like a big hill to climb, trying to make tennis more accessible. I'm right. sure it's been partly your life's work. I know you have um, obviously a, a lot of personal experience and, and, and personal ties to that. Can you just tell me kind of the state of of that, of making tennis a little bit more accessible to 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 diverse playing crowds? This might be my favorite subject in all diversity subjects that there are, right? Because what I would say to you is tennis gets a little bit of a bad rap. Uh, when it comes to diversity, if you take the U.S. Open, arguably number one revenue producing sport in the world on an annual basis, the athletes themselves come from more than 60 countries around the world. Uh, so there's immense diversity in that. Uh, 
roughly just over 40% of U.S. Open attendees identify as people of color. Mm. Think about this. The event takes place at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center on the two largest tennis courts in the world, Arthur Ashe Stadium and Louis Armstrong Stadium. Mm. In between them is a larger-than-life-size statue of Florida A&M's uh, 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 one and only uh, the mother of black tennis, if you will, Althea Gibson, uh, where, oh, by the way, there's been equal pay since 1979. I call that the Mount Rushmore of diversity in sport. You tell me where else that kind of diversity exists. That's fascinating to think about it like that, because you're right. Yeah. It is. I mean, people just say, oh, it's a country club sport. And and, right. and, and we have that vision of what that means. Um, that is that it's really good. And I wonder if I wonder if the history, you know, tennis is so interesting because individuals can have such such immense power. And I think we saw right. it. And I want to ask you about Kareem and LeBron and what we saw last night and what it means in the NBA. Um, but when you don't have a team, right, it really is on you. And so think about the strength of people like Arthur Ashe or, or people like Althea Gibson. Um, it, that's really kind of interesting just to think about how broad their shoulders had to be. Arthur Ashe, Althea Gibson, Billie Jean King. Uh, think about Venus Williams yeah. in the beginning of the 2000s. I mean, when you talk about the other Grand Slams uh, adopting equal pay, that's largely because of uh, Venus Williams, Serena Williams, uh, uh, as I said, um, you know, just a lot of powerful individual, to your point, strong individual uh, people in the sport, Billie Jean King, people in the sport that were able to use their platform for the greater good. What have you found have been what surprised you about moving into pro sports franchises into the team world? I think the NBA is sort of uniquely placed. As a, as a leader, I, I think we do a really good job um, as far as being progressive. And then there's still kind of that, you know, when I, I'm 38 years old now, I'll be 39 in a couple of weeks. I've been doing this almost my entire life. And we have a to long be 38 way. 38 and 39. With, 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 yeah, you remember that? I remember that. I mean, you were probably 38 when you started working for the Magic. And then and, and, and now I'm 52? Yeah, exactly. I saw what happened to Obama in the White House, the, the white hairs, right? Um, it is, it, it, I think the NBA does a really good job. I think there's still a long way to go. I think about women in sports specifically. I've seen that in the last 16 years change drastically. Yeah. Um, what surprised you about moving into pro sports and, 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 and I guess give me kind of a state of DEI and, uh, in the NBA and in professional sports right now. Sure. I mean, I think when you, uh, and, 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 and this is talked about, right. When you look at the athletes and I just gave you an example of, of tennis and, and that's a sport that people don't, it doesn't come uh, to mind immediately when you think about the diversity of the athletes, but is immense diversity in tennis. When you think about the athletes themselves, uh, the sport, sport is diverse. When you think about the consumers, sport is incredibly diverse. So if there's room where we need to maybe be more intentional, it is in three areas. I call it uh, the, the suits, right? And I began this conversation by saying we have to make our workplace mirror the demographics of our marketplace. That's an area across the board where there's more work that needs to be done. When you think about uh, the the providers of the sport, so so your coaches and your and your general managers, et cetera. Again, another place where there's room for growth, and and, and we have to continue to push 
the envelope there. Uh, and last but not least, you know, the 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 voices uh, and the faces, because that's who the 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 next generation and, and, and the general public, that's who they see and hear. And we have to continue to diversify those as well. So I'll give you a quick example. I, I went to uh, a friend of mine uh, at ESPN and I said, you know, in 2019, and I said, you know, you all are killing us. She said, what do you mean? I said, so while we're going around the country saying that tennis is no longer, a, a, please don't perceive tennis as a middle-aged white person sport, on the night of your biggest ratings, when you have Naomi Osaka playing Coco Golf, you got Chris Fowler, Chris McKenzie, Chris Everett, Pam Shriver, John McEnroe, Patrick McEnroe calling the match. So for my daughter, who got all her friends together to say, you got to watch this match, many of them, this is the first tennis match they've ever seen in their lives. Look who the, the voices and the faces are. Well, that representation matters in terms of inspiring the next generation, especially in this case, the next generation of girls to see themselves in sport in other capacities beyond being on the field, on the court, et cetera. Do you find that a lot of times the the idea of representation in sport with, with minorities and I guess specifically African-American people yeah. is is reduced to the athlete, to being the athlete? When there are so many other yeah. roles that you can play, you don't have to be a professional athlete to work in sports. I'm proof positive. You're proof positive. And, and most people will never be a professional athlete. Exactly. Right? The odds are against you, no matter how good you are as a as a child, the odds are against you. And so, yes, I think that that is something that I didn't realize as a kid growing up playing tennis, competing and, and trying to get a scholarship to play Division One college tennis, which ultimately I was able to do. But at that time, I never saw myself working in sport because I never saw myself working in sport, if you know what I mean. Sure. Uh, and, and, and so uh, I, I do remember having this surreal moment in graduate school where I get a call from a friend at USTA. And she says, you got to come and interview for this job. And, I'm, and, and, and I get the job and I'm thinking, huh, who would have known, who would have thought that as a kid growing up playing tennis that one day I'd be working in tennis like this is my job so yeah man i think this is incredibly important it's something that i try to stress and underscore uh with children uh and youth and even college students i'm teaching diversity and inclusion at columbia university now and and, and this is a point that i'm trying to stress that yes there are a plethora all kinds of opportunities uh in sport some uh, are, are 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 prominent and forward facing. Some are behind the scenes, but all are are amazing opportunities. Explain to me the difference between equity and equality. I will absolutely do that. You're hitting on all my uh, sweet spots, by the way. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, of course, <laughs> there's some things that that as a as a as a birthright and as a citizen in this country, we all should have right. So so. Uh, freedom, equality, justice for all. That's something that we all should have. Uh, there are some things that each one of us needs individually for us to be able to learn, grow, contribute, and, and, and evolve, right? Uh, and, and that's the difference. Equity is making sure that all of us have what we need for ourselves to be able to have a seat at the table, to be able to have opportunity and access and take advantage of that. And as I said, learn, grow, and contribute. So let me give you just the, the most basic example of what I mean. At, at, and you mentioned this earlier. At 38, 39 years old, what you need 
to get to the next level in your career is very different than what I need uh, to get to the next level in, in, in my career. Well, that's an equity issue. Uh, and if we are, as an organization, uh, investing in our people and looking to help people get to where they want to go, then we need to be able to address that for everybody in the organization. And the future of work suggests that. The future of work is around flexibility and customization so people have what they need for themselves to be able to excel. That's the difference. That's a very small example, but that's the difference between equity and equality. I think the I think the argument becomes or, or I think where people can't wrap their head around is because we don't have the tools to see what each individual needs. Yeah, I, I think people that are resistant to the notion of it think that we're 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 painting with a broad brush. Right. Like yeah. it's the assumption that all African-Americans in the workplace need X. Correct. How do you how do you how do you argue against that um, that that idea? Yeah, I, I look, if we stop and, and we take a step back, we realize that no culture is a monolith. Right. Uh, yeah, the African-American community is not a monolith. The Latino community is not a monolith. The Asian community is not a monolith. The white community is not a monolith. But here's what I would say. I like to ask people who does not want to work for a place where they feel welcome, valued, appreciated, and that their contributions matter. That's called sense of belonging. And, and what we all need in order to, to feel that level of connection that inspires sense of belonging, inspires discretionary effort is a little bit different from person to person. Mm. And, and that's what I would say. I think everybody wants to work somewhere where they feel they themselves feel welcome, valued, and appreciated. And that's the challenge. The challenge is to make sure to the best of our ability, we can make that happen for folks. That's the so, case for diversity, as opposed to another case is the business case, which I can make separately. Yeah. And the business case, I, I think makes sense. And that, that one's easy, right? Like I can explain yeah, to any I capitalist so. that it, that the customer base looks, looks, looks right. similar to, to the vendor, then, then you're more likely to sell things. Um, the human aspect of it, I think, is what is what gets lost. And that's when the culture wars come into play yes. and, and and people start hearing things. I mean, it is it's a negative buzzword, depending on what you're listening to right now. Diversity, yeah. equity and inclusion. And I sit there and I say, listen to those three words. What's bad about diversity, equity, inclusion? And then when you explain it, the human aspect and literally that word belonging, I think, is so powerful, you know, just to sell somebody on the fact that you will have a sense of belonging in your workplace any reasonable person can agree that that should be the goal, and yet, and yet, and yet, it's it, it's spun differently. Does it, it, I asked Desmond Mead this? Um, I interviewed him during um, during election time. Do you ever take it personally when you hear this? I mean, this is your life's work, and mm. and man, if you go on the internet and if you read the wrong thing, I would just it, it can really, really burn me out. Let alone you. I, 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 how do you, how do you deal with it? Uh, I've been in this space a long time. I like to joke and say when, uh, um, you know, before George Floyd, when Billie Jean King yelled at me across the table and said, you, Mr. Diversity Guy, should know better, uh, talking about a random something that I had no control over, which was high school tennis in New York City. When she said, you, Mr. Diversity Guy, back then it wasn't cool to work in diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, then George, people knew the data, so the so intellectually it made sense. 
Uh, it wasn't until uh, the, the uh, murder of George Floyd that it became emotional for folks. Uh, and, and at that point, this space became a lot more popular. Um, at one point, uh, uh, corporate America, in one article I read, corporate America, across corporate America, people identified DEI as their number one business challenge. So that's, you're talking about 2021. So a year after George Floyd. Um, but but here's what I would say. I, no, I don't, I don't take it personal. I learned a long time ago that if I wanted to be successful in this space, number one, I got to meet people where they are. Mm. Everybody, I believe this in my heart, everybody's going to have their diversity moment at some point. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a child or a grandchild coming home with someone that you didn't expect them to come home and say, this is the person I love, right? Or, or this is a lifestyle change that I've made for myself. I don't know what's going to happen, but the diversity moment is going to happen for everyone. Uh, and so you meet people where they are. I'm not here to try and win folks over. I'm not here to try and change people's uh, outlook on life. What I care about is how we treat each other. Can mm. we treat each other with respect? Can we work together and can we succeed and win together? Um, I also learned that there's a way that we can talk to each other and it builds bridges. And there's a way that we can talk to each other and it widens divides. And the difference between the two is judgment. If I'm going to weaponize my opinions against you and vice versa, we're not going to get very far. Um, but also, you know, we have to reframe to your point about uh, the news cycle. We have to reframe some of this uh, and yeah. we have to diffuse some of the anxiety. Um, I, I like to begin by saying, first of all, we're all diverse. Black, white, Jew, Gentile, we're all diverse. That's a fact. That's literally the definition of diversity, right? Yes. Um, and number two, my working definition for diversity in in the in the uh, context of of uh, in an organization comes from the book, The Promise of Diversity, which simply says we're here to leverage. We're talking about a business process that leverages the mix of differences and similarities in order to drive uh, our business goals and strategic priorities. That, that's what we're talking about. So you see what I'm saying here in terms of, we really need to diffuse this stuff and reframe some of this stuff. Um, uh, you mentioned it. Uh, I speak a lot about belonging uh, as opposed to inclusion. They, they kind of in some contexts are uh, synonymous terms, but at the end of the day, belonging is a very real thing for all of us. Right. Um, belonging and, and connection matters to everybody. So I tend to focus on, on concepts that I believe in my heart are universal. And the last reason why I don't take it personal, uh, again, I, I, I learned this very early on. If you're going to meet people where they are, you can't make things or take things personal. Uh, that's that's from the book, The Four Agreements. Uh, I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. And look, here's the last thing I'd say about it. Why I love the work that I do and I'm so passionate about it is because in many cases, people are intersecting these conversations in the workplace. And then they go home and have these conversations with their families and yeah. their friends and their loved ones. And so there's a real multiplier effect to the work that I do. And in my small little mind, that 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 is my contribution to making the world a better place. If people are having this conversation for the first time because they listen to this podcast or because there's something happening at work and, and, and it sparks something in them that, hey, maybe I can now be an ally for a family friend. 
or or cousin or in, in a way that I hadn't thought about it before or or maybe uh, I have a broader perspective now. It's all about having deeper conversations with each other to understand, yes, above the surface of the iceberg, there might be some differences where we don't agree below the, below the surface of the iceberg, which is 90% of our identity. There's probably lots of points of intersection if we're willing to go there with each other. Mm, that's powerful. And that's I, I really like the idea that eventually everybody's going to have their their diversity moment. I think that's a nice optimistic way to think about it. And it does. And it's not it doesn't have to be an epiphany for everybody. It could be something very, very small. It could be a common bond. You know, I've always for for a lot of people, it was George Floyd when people had their diversity moment. So you never know what it's going to be. It could be personal. It could be in a professional context. I, I, I do believe it happens at some point. It was that that was it was that seminal of a, a, a moment, though. I mean, you're talking about what it changed, how it changed the workplace. And 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 look, let's not get it twisted. Corporate America runs things right. You get if you get if you get a CEO on board, then you got the money behind it. And that makes a big difference. Uh, not to sound too cynical about it. But yeah. I don't you know, I I've obviously I, I knew what the cultural change was and and I and we've experienced it, you know, like we 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 all saw how it changed a lot of different workplaces. But I guess I didn't really think about how it changed that world, the the entire notion. I mean, there were departments being made uh, in in big corporations across the country. I wouldn't be here were not for um, that being such a a, a turning point yeah. uh, in, in, in corporate America. But I will never forget having a conversation just like this uh, with uh, Steve Clifford and him saying, I realized that all my life that I was not a racist. He said, but before George Floyd, I never thought about, uh, uh, I didn't realize how much um, I needed to do in terms to be an anti-racist. Yeah, Scott, I mean, that was, that was literally my next question. Um, yeah. I'm not going to pretend I read Kendi's entire book, but I'm very familiar with the, the notion. So how, what have you found are the biggest barriers with people that keep them from being a, a, a kind of a passive proponent of change and then actually being yeah. an agent of change. Well, first of all, do you like change? Cause most people don't, I'll put my hand up. I don't. Right. So sure. there's, there's that. Um, there's a little bit of that, that, that we're all to varying degrees, a little change averse. We're not all early adopters. Uh, and, and, and I get that. So, so that's fine. Uh, and that's fair. Again, I don't take any of this personal. Uh, I have the I have a long view. I'm very patient. Uh, and I think that I try and frame this work in a way that people can see themselves. One of the bis- biggest misconceptions that I've experienced over the course of my career is people think, oh, diversity and inclusion, that's that's for a certain group. No, this is for everybody. Right. Um, and so that's I just continue to 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 view it that way, uh, and and as I said, reframe and diffuse a lot of these conversations so that people can actually see themselves in the work, see how they will how they will benefit, see how they can contribute, and see how it doesn't really challenge their perspective on 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 on, on too many issues. It probably uh, enhances their perspective on most of the the issues that they hold. But again, you just have to be willing to have deeper conversations. Now, if you're willing to be a to to go deeper in terms of 
you know, as it says in the seven habits of highly effective people seeking to understand before being understood, it's going to take a little bit longer, mm. right? To, to, to be more open, right? Uh, unless something major happens in your life where you just can't avoid it. Uh, but if you're willing to, to be open-minded and, 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 and that, this is what I think is happening post George Floyd. This is happening very well across the country, across industries. And that is companies are having, and they call them different things, unity conversations, difficult conversations. In our organization, we we have we call our uh, externally facing conversations celebrating diversity and our internal conversations, conversations on justice. But it's through these continued conversations that I think is slowly but surely moving the needle as well. Uh, and then that gets people from, you know, you go from, uh, you go from, you know, uh, maybe I'm not sure. You go from unsure to curious, you know, to wait a minute. This this kind of makes sense a little bit. To now you're doing some of your own self education, self exploration. Yeah. And uh, and and I just believe. Look, Gen Y and Gen Z uh, are the most diverse generations in U.S. They're incredible. History. It it, it so, gives me so much so much uh, you hope. You know, there just you listening to them. Just listen to them. And and those. Those kids are are coming home having conversations that are also changing older generations as well, or at least making them a little bit more open to, to learning. <laughs> if they turn the TV off and listen to their kids, then, then maybe they'll change things a little bit. Okay, we got to go. But before yeah. we do, let's talk briefly about what's going on this month. ABC yes. Unite last night. That was a blast. Yes at Amway Center, Black Business Spotlights all month. Uh, yes. I know it's a busy time, but it really is. It's just, it's it's more kind of bringing to the forefront all the stuff you guys are doing, but it's a, it's a year long, it's a year long fight, isn't it? Year long effort. We have in the second annual Black Business Summit on February 23rd. That brings together a hundred uh, African-American business leaders uh, and entrepreneurs together. Um, we have our Black History Month game that night as well. Uh, with the Lakeland Magic, we're we're uh, recognizing a Magic Diversity Game Changer in the Lakeland community. Uh, Solar Bears Black History Month game is on 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 at the end of the month on the 26th of February. So this is across the board. Uh, Magic Gaming held a HBCU 2K tournament. The winner of that tournament is the fan of the game for for uh, last night for HBCU night. So it's it's all hands on deck, holistic approach to making sure uh, that, look, part of it is that uh, we're, 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 we're joining the rest of the league and joining the rest of the country in, in a worthy uh, celebration to honor Black History Month. But part of it is, is that this is all part of the overall value proposition that we're trying to communicate with African-American consumers in this market. Did you grow up in New York? I did. Orlando, see, I'm, I'm from up uh, up north too. I'm from Cleveland. But Orlando's black history is pretty dang cool. I mean, between Eatonville and Zorniel Hurston, right. I mean, right. there's, there's, there's a lot of pretty powerful stuff that's happened here in Central Florida. 100% right. Tonight is the city's Black History Month uh, signature event. Uh, the city opened last week for Black History Month, an amazing uh, art gallery with black uh, artists uh, at City Hall. Uh, the history here is very, very rich. You, you mentioned Eatonville, the first uh, black city, official black city in the United States of America. Zora Neale Hurston, an amazing author who also 
uh, taught at my alma mater, North Carolina Central University. Uh, you're right about the rich history uh, locally. Didn't you have a Columbia tie too? I mean, you and you and Zora are uh, now that you're now that you're a professor up there. You guys are locked in. And uh, that's where I went to graduate school. So 100 well, percent right. Look, I'm just trying to follow in the footsteps of the great ones that come came before us. There you go. There you go. Well, you're doing a hell of a job. We Thank appreciate you. everything, Iso. I really appreciate Thanks, the time. This has been, you got the wheels turning, man. I uh, yeah, I, I, I can't thank you enough. Iso Mott, our uh, chief DEI You got to invite officer. me back. Definitely. Let's do it again. We'll catch up. We'll we'll, we'll pick another month. We'll, do, a, we'll, we'll do one in the summertime. Thank you so much, Iso. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. Take care. All right. There he is. Iso Mott. Jake Chapman here with you. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Back next week. Thanks so much.